You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Welcome, folks. I'm Rena Weissman. I am both a board member with Variety Children's Charity, in whose lovely preview room theater you're sitting in, and I am also the coordinator for SF and SF Science Fiction San Francisco, a perfect fit. Um, it's been going on seven and a half years now. Uh, we're coming to the end of our seven, our end of our eighth year. Come to think of it. Um, and tonight's kind of a nice special event with Rick Kleffel being our moderator and conversationalist uh, f- uh, for the evening. Enjoy the show. Thank you, Rena. Tonight, we're just gifted to have two people who are literally legends in their field. <laughs> Both of them. Uh, Tad Williams is the author of fantasy trilogies that include Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn, Otherland, Shadow March, novels that include Tail Chaser's Song, The War of the Flowers, The Dragons of Ordinary Farm. I mean, you can't ha- even get close to the science fiction and fantasy part of your bookstore without being overwhelmed by his books for a good reason, because they're wonderful books. They're completely immersive, and they take us to the kind of other worlds that we really want to be with. Our other legend is literally a legend as well. Deborah Beale create, just told me she created the legend line of books for Pan Macmillan in the UK. Uh, Century Hutchinson at the time. Century Hutchinson at the time in the UK. These are were some of the groundbreaking books by some fantastic authors. Um, Greg Bear, a novel called Heads. Oh, my God. If you are a novella called Heads, if you haven't read that, you need to look it up. Um, Lucia Shepard, Calamantan, uh, James R. Morrow, uh, City of Truth. She really brought some fantastic people to what is the legend label and created this. Thank you for joining me, Tad and Deborah. This is amazing. Our pleasure. We're very happy to be here. Um, I guess you're going to start out reading. That's fine. I'd we'll uh, be happy to do it. So... Uh, do you have? Do you have? Your she, yeah. She's got stuff. She can. Uh, uh, you can read first. You want to read first? No, or? no, no. You, uh, ask a question just while I I pull up Caliban's. <laughs> oh, she's trying to find stuff. So where, where, where was? It, uh, Rena mentioned that that Rick came up from from the depths of uh, Santa Cruz County, and so did we. So did we. we just <laughs> moved in there yesterday. Um, so we're 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 kind of. As a matter of fact, if you, uh, I feel I'm feeling a bit sorry for Rick at the moment, um, because if you've ever heard the expression "the great unwashed," well, Deborah and I and our two kids up there are four of them. Um, we have no we have no heat in the house. We, have we no are hot theoretically water. clean. Yes, yeah. We're, we are clean clean minded. We're clean minded, if nothing else. So. Anyway, if you have a question while she's finding that, and then I'll read. No, well, waiting for it. Or you know, we can just now. Uh, well, t- <laughs> well, tell us what prompted the move to Santa Cruz. Oh gosh, a number of things. Um, one of it is that we actually are, were kind of thinking about it for a while. Um, Deborah is much more interested in the whole idea of moving than I am. I'm kind of more on the lichen end of things, you know, or moss. You know, I, I believe in like putting out little tubules and just clinging on for as long as possible in one place. Um, Deb's family used to move, I don't know, what, it was like every three months or so when you were a kid. It was horrifying. She was, must have been like growing up in the carnival years. or something. 
um, town to town to town, but always the same town. That's the weird part. <laughs> so, that, so that's been a dynamic in our relationship, in our marriage for a long time. Um, the, the two young people wincing back there in the second to last row there are two of our, our two children, um, and they've seen this, this uh, particular drama being played out between their mother and I. Um, but anyway, for, so for a number of reasons now, it was time. We're, we're doing uh, a lot more um, of our own publishing and things like that, and we wanted to, to kind of make our lives a little simpler. We got a huge, beautiful piece of land um, in Soquel near Santa Cruz, and are that you, was big for us too. Are you back off the, back in the hills there? We're on, off Old San Jose Road, oh, if you know so where beautiful. that is. Oh, yeah. yeah, I know. I know a lot of people, you can get some really beautiful properties up there. This won't mean much to the... Very, very ramshackle house, just to yeah. keep it real. Yeah, just to keep it real, yeah. Um, so there were a number Dad. of factors. Also, the kids were just at the point where they're beginning to change schools. Um, so we figured this was the time. And it's a beautiful place to bring up kids. Yeah. We moved uh, up here when I kids were small, and they just absolutely thanked we're us really, 10 million times. We're really looking forward to it. <laughs> lots, lots of art. Uh, we just, mm-hmm. we just watched um, the other night um, with one of our children. Um, we just watched uh, the, the Social Network, if you guys, if many of you have seen that. And the, the first few scenes in that, which, of course, were, is about getting into various social clubs at Harvard and, and how Mark Zuckerberg was basically somebody who was kind of X'd out of the social scene and a lot of the movie insinuates that a lot of his later stuff has to do with essentially going, well, the hell with you guys. I'll show you. Um, anyway, where we are, where we are in Woodside, in Portola Valley, that kind of dealing with the, the, the local um, temperament is sometimes a bit like the, the Harvard social club scene. It can be very exclusive. and mm. So although we've enjoyed our time there a lot, I think we're going to enjoy having the kids in Santa Cruz too, which is going to be a little closer to who we are. It's goofy. Yeah, there you go. Keep, keep Santa Cruz weird is the, is the slogan and T-shirt. Yeah. They don't have to try too hard to do that. Absolutely. And we're huge. But we were already huge Banana Slug fans anyway. But, you know, it's for those of you who don't know, it's the, the essentially the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's the unofficial mascot of the University of California, Santa Cruz, or, is the Banana Slug. So we have a huge zoo of them in our backyard in our old house anyway. Okay, I'm going to read a short segment. from we As I mentioned, Deborah and I are just starting our grand experiment into um, – into uh, self-publishing, um, as a lot of writers are these days, because quite frankly, none of us knows if there's going to be a publishing industry in five years. You know, it's kind of like being a musician was back, you know, eight nine years ago, um, circa Napster time. So we are, uh, among other things, we're releasing things we have rights to. We're putting together some uh, combinations of some short story collections we and have some, some other things. Some original books we some, have. Some original yeah. material that we have, and we will we will give a little plug on some of that stuff maybe later on. But so I'm going to read a section from a book of mine that is not a new book, but we've just re-released it after many years out of print. It was one of the novellas, which is called yes, which is one of the uh, novellas that Deborah um, before we were married that Deborah commissioned uh, back when we were in London. The Legend Novella series. The Legend Novella series, which included uh, Greg, Greg's Heads and Callie Mantan and a bunch of other really good ones. Michael Swanwick's oh, Vacuum yeah. Flowers. Yeah. Was Vacuum that flowers. that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yes. Some really fine books Deborah got a hold of. So in a nutshell, Caliban's Hour um, is it's basically a prequel and a sequel to Shakespeare's The Tempest. Now, you know, how, how much more arrogant can you get? Not only to write a sequel, but to write a prequel as well, you know, all in the same book. So the very first bit has been telling about how many, many years after the events of The Tempest, Caliban, the monster, so-called, 
has found his way to Naples and has found the now much older, in fact, married, middle-aged uh, Miranda, the, of course, beautiful daughter of Prospero, who is such an uh, important part of the play, The Tempest. Caliban, for those of you who don't remember The Tempest or didn't read your Cliff's Notes, um, Caliban is, of course, the, the, the native of the island who was there when Prospero and his daughter were uh, abandoned there. So what he's talking about is, uh, what he's experiencing is the, the life of the native who has been discovered by the people from the big civilized world. Um, I don't know where I'm going to stop this, so forgive me if it, if it comes to an uh, end at an odd point. I haven't had a chance to look at it in several years, so I'm, I'm hoping I was writing in English back then, actually. <laughs> Okay, so this is the first little section of Caliban starting to tell his own story after he has grabbed the middle-aged Miranda in the middle of the night, swung in through her window, and said, you know, I'm going to kill you, but I'm going to make you listen first. So this, is, this section is called The Villain's Tale, and this sub subsection is called A Mouthful of Words. What should I say, Miranda? Now that the time has come, what should I tell you? How? What? Where do I begin? I have been clamp-jawed with silence so long. Now it must all rush out. The words inside me can be pent no longer, and it is you who must brave the torrent. I cannot promise you will not be drowned by its raging force. There! Do you see? That is one of the chief crimes with which I charge you and your father. Especially your father. You two brought me a gift, or so I thought. A shining object, like a bright fruit dangled in front of a starveling. You taught me that all things have names. Your gift to me was words, a language. But it was a poison fruit, that naming of things. For with language, I learned lies. Conceits, tricks, prestidigitations. And see, I perform them too. There is no rushing torrent of water, only a story that I will tell. A river is a river, wet, noisy, a, a home for fish and whirring winged flies and skimming beetles. It is not made of words. In fact, a great part of its beauty is that it has no words at all. But your father and his spreading canker of a language. There, witness. Oops, sorry. Um, there, witness, I went past it. There, witness, um, where did we lose it? There, witness is, there, I've skipped past it. I'm so sorry, hang on. We were going so well there, and then I've lost it. Oh, there, okay. Um, but your father and his spreading canker of a language. This is also Deb's laptop, which I never use. Uh, your father is spreading canker of language there. Witness, I am prisoner of his lying comparison still. First named, then took the meaning from everything. Before you came, I lived in a world of certain, solid truths, Miranda. Bestial is what your kind calls that world, that way. But I am not so sure. I have now seen your cities. The streets and docksides teeming with pale people, hurrying like termites in a split log. With so many crushed together, and each one telling a thousand tiny lies in an hour, lying with every breath, every glance, can you tell me that my isolation and simplicity were worse? 
On my island, I existed in a world of unquestionable things. The great rock above the beach had no name, but I knew it and knew what it was, something upon which I could climb to see far out across the ocean's face. A family of lizards nested there, small, brown, striped with yellow, and though they fled before my approach, skittering into crevices to lie in silent panic until I passed them by, I did not think of them as being more alive than the great stone, or of some higher order of being, no more than I thought so of myself. They moved, I moved, the rock did not. And yet sometimes an entire afternoon passed when both lizards and I were as still as the great shelf of stone. While for all I knew, perhaps there were times when the stone itself walked or crawled or even flew, and I simply had not seen such a moment. In my mind, that great rock was a thing, just as lizards were things, each one, and I did not try to compare it with anything else. It simply was. I simply was. The objects I found on my island were food, if I could eat them, shade, if I could sleep beneath them. The weather itself was not a separate phenomenon that could be discussed, like war in a distant country. Some days the world was wet and windy. Other days, the entire universe sweltered in unchanging heat. In fact, it was on just such a day, a day when the whole of creation seemed a stone baking in the coals of fire, that I climbed the great rock and saw my doom. Could I have hidden from what proved to be my fate? The island was not large, but there were enough high places, enough hidden frond-shaded folds that perhaps I could have kept my distance, at least for the first year. If I had, I would have thought differently, seen differently. I would have grown a year older, and also I would have had the custom of separateness. Watching, I would have felt myself a distinct thing. Learning, I would have understood differently. But, like the lizards, I was fearful, but ultimately stupid. Just as they also ran, always ran, but never any farther than the same shallow crevices, so I watched my doom walk toward me across the white beach and did no more to save myself than to crouch slightly lower behind a jagged cornice of stone. Up until that moment, with my mother dead, I had been the lord of my land, but now my fall from power was before me. How well your exiled father must have understood that sort of agonizing reversal. The rebel hand that strikes by surprise, the fatal mistake perceived too late. But understanding did not make him treat me any better in later days. Two figures, one large, one small. I cannot say, Miranda, that I saw you and instantly fell in love with you, poignant as that might be. I think I was yet too young. I believe, but I am not sure that I had been alive perhaps a decade when you landed. Of course, the chance to know the details of my early life, including my birth year, were lost even before I was born, vanished along with my mother's tongue. Lost with my mother tongue. It's true that you fascinated me with your tired little body, your damp hair, your bright dress all in rags, 
but it was your great gaunt father whose aspect set all my hairs standing like the itch of distant lightning. At first he was just a pillar of black on the sun-whitened beach, standing before a grounded boat. I had a moment of confusion. I had a moment of dreamy confusion, for I thought the two of you had stepped from our boat, that means his and his mother's that had landed years ago, even though I knew that the craft which had brought my mother into exile had rested on another part of the beach and had long since been plundered of everything but a few rotted timbers. Prospero. Could ever your god have appeared to his followers with any greater effect? I had never seen a grown man before of any sort, had at that moment never seen another human creature except my mother and my own reflection in the island pools. And there stood your father, far taller than I was, wrapped in a black robe that must have felt like the inner walls of a kiln on that blazing hot day. But, as if to confirm his magical, unnatural state, his beard seemed to me of gray and black hoarfrost hanging from his jaws, ice such as I sometimes found on the leaves and rocks on the island's high places during the coldest months. His eyes, too, were frosty as he surveyed the beach, then slowly looked up to the rock where I crouched so poorly hidden. Chips of a blue, darker and yet brighter than the sky, they glinted from beneath heavy brows. Altogether, he seemed a thing of iron, like the nails we had salvaged from our boat, cold and unyielding, sharp and black, a creature of iron and ice. Boy, that's amazing. I mean, geez, I gotta see why you bought that thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, I commissioned that's a, it. You commissioned it, good <laughs> Lord. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.